last Sunday evening before services, all the song leaders met and had a sorting through of your favorite songs. And that song right there is why Josh was a pivotal person to be at that meeting because uh, I think Josh is probably the only person that could have led that one. He did a good job on it. It sounds like it's pretty easy. I don't think it's too difficult. It's all about knowing the parts and knowing uh, who's supposed to do what. But uh, we look forward to the songs. And like I said, if you had not turned one in, I think we ended up with 19 when it was all said and done. I got one after the fact, Josh. But uh, if you haven't turned one in, you can still give it to us. uh, And we'll do that uh, as well. How many times have you asked or said to someone, I'm going to church today. I'm going to church this evening. How many times have you maybe said to someone, would you like to come to church with me? We use that word church in a lot of different ways. We will use the word church as the Bible describes it as God's kingdom here on earth, right? But we also use the word church to describe us and fellow Christians, and we're part of the church, but we can even also talk about it as sort of a gathering of people. So we say, I'm going to church tonight at six as a gathering sort of a people. We even use the word church to describe a building. I'm not here to describe or to debate these and what should be used. That's not what it is. But the word church is used in a lot of different descriptors. But the question is, and what we're going to be talking about today and what we're going to talk about on the first Sunday of each month, every day, uh, every month this year is the plan, is a set of lessons that I am calling uh, Setting the Church in Order. Okay? What makes up the church? And so that's what our goal is. And for today, we're asking the question, what is the local church? Okay? What is the local church? So we're not necessarily thinking about like our other Christians that are in, you know, other places and, you know, people that we're communicating with, you know, in, uh, in, in mission work or something like that. That's not really what our focus is on today, but rather our focus is on determining what is the local church. These people that you see that if you look around the room and you can see who, uh, who it is. I want us to start, though, with a few sort of facts about the church. Facts are things that we're laying out. These are sort of agreed upon things, right? We're not really going to debate anything on here. We can go to book, chapter, and verse and point these things out uh, to you. Let's start with the first one. Jesus, we know, was the founder of the church. Now, we can use that word church as all-encompassing, the one that you're in as a local church, but also any Christian uh, that we would come in contact that we know of. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, we remember what Jesus said to Peter. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, Peter had just confessed that Jesus was the Son of God, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against this. The key word right there, Jesus had said, upon this rock I will build my church. My means possession of, that you own something. You know, if I were to say, come to my house, you know where you're supposed to go. Or if we were to say to, uh, you know, come to my place of work. Well, Jesus says, I will build my church. So we may be members of the church. We may be part of the kingdom, but the church does not belong to us. I see that sometimes people misuse that term a whole lot. They say that this is so-and-so's church. Josh and I talked about this uh, a few weeks ago, and he said, like, every this church, but everybody just referred to it as the, the preacher's church. Well, it's not the preacher's church. If I fall over tonight, that day somebody else comes in for me. It's not mine. 
Now, people may be associated with it. I would say there's a lot of people in Stanford that when they hear Stanford Church of Christ, they think of Virgil and Catherine. I'm sure they do. But that's because of the effort and the time and the work that they gave to this church. And that's the same at every other organization that there is. But Jesus is the founder of the church. Not only is he the founder, Jesus is also the head of the church. Ephesians 1.22 says that he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Jesus was not only the founder, but also the head of the church. Jesus is the head of The church is given a name. We read that in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16. It reads that the church of Christ greet, your Bible may say, or salute, depending on what version you have, salute you. These are facts. These are things that we're citing from the scriptures. The church is required to do a handful of things. We're required to sing when we come together. We've already done that. We read that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. We're required to pray each time that we come together. We're required to teach, and hopefully that's what's happening right here. We're required to partake in communion, which we did just a moment ago. First Corinthians 11, we can read that. We're also required to give of our means. These are requirements that are asked of the local church. The church's primary mission, though, as you can see there at the bottom, is to save souls. And that's our mission here, and that's the mission of those that might be meeting somewhere else as today as well. But these are facts about the church. But what I want to think about is what the local church is. If we agree that the first slide is things that we can all know have to be there, then I want to think about what is the local church? What is this gathering of 30 to 40 some odd people each week? And what is our task? What are we to do? Because that's what we're looking for. We're going to think about some spiritual characteristics of a local church. We know what a characteristic is, right? Characteristics, things that describe someone. And you know people that have some good characteristics, and we know people that have some bad characteristics, right? Well, I think that the church would be very similar to that. There are some characteristics of a local church that might be good, and there are some characteristics of a local church that might be bad. It's our responsibility that if we have some positive characteristics and some negative characteristics, is to fix those negatives. And so as we roll through this, as we look this morning at the characteristics of the local church, I want us to consider what are we doing well and what do we need to improve upon. And you might say, well, this is a job of the elders. Well, it is a job of the elders. But it's a job of everybody within the local church. And our responsibility, our improvement in the local church can only be made if we're all striving to be better at whatever it might be. Let's start with characteristic number one. A little more focus. It's composed of saints who work together. Think about that for a second. The Bible describes Christians as saints, right? Not as somebody who's been elevated, a singular person who did this or that, but all people are described as being saints. We gather together as saints. And a collection was made of the saints. You may remember, it's not something that's venerated after we die, but it's something that happens while we are here. It's composed of saints who work together. But I want to think about how difficult that can be. Let's turn to Acts chapter 9 real quick. This is when Saul comes to Jerusalem. Go to Acts chapter 9. I believe we'll start in verse 26 right there. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Now, this is after Saul had been converted on the road to Damascus. This is after he had went into Damascus and Ananias had baptized him. But Saul was not necessarily a beloved figure in the Christian community. 
What had Paul done? Or excuse me, what had Saul done? Right? He, had, he had almost taken joy. He had glory in punishing Christians. And so now we're going to see, starting in Acts chapter 9 and verse 26, Saul comes to Jerusalem. Follow along here with me. And when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. I want to think about that for a second. Because the people that were Christians there, or well, they wouldn't call Christians at the time, but those people that were disciples there, then when they hear that Saul is coming, imagine what's going through their head right there. Well, we're basically just inviting, you know, the fox into the hen house here, right? We're bringing him in. He's going to destroy us, and we're opening the door to let him come in. I can understand why they would have said that. But the local church was afraid of him. But what Paul, excuse me, what Barnabas does then is he kind of pulls him aside. He takes him to see the apostles. He sort of confirms the story as it were. Do you think there were people that were in that meeting even after they had it confirmed that we're still a little bit nervous about Saul, you know that they would have been a little bit nervous about it because his reputation had preceded him. Here's the thing about the local church. Sometimes people's reputations will precede them in the local church. Sometimes people may not necessarily see eye to eye in the local church. Sometimes we may disagree with people in the local church. But notice the role that was played there by Barnabas. He sort of smoothed things over with them, right? Because if we said, nah, we're closing the door to anybody who's got a questionable past. We're closing the door to anybody who maybe in the past has done some things. Pretty soon the building's going to be empty. There won't be nobody there. So we may not always know what the past is, but the local church's responsibility is to meet and greet. And what, now what if Barnabas had pulled Saul aside and they realized oh, this is just a trick? Well, you've got to think about that as a Christian as well. As the local church has to consider, that's the role of the elders. But our responsibility is to be welcome and opening to all who might come together to worship. That's a characteristic of the local church. Second, the local church is local, right? It's got to be local, right? There can't be a local church if it's not actually local. That, that, that complicates things. There are people I know that would like to worship, but there is nothing local for them. You know, I think about uh, the Morgan man that was here a few weeks ago. And Kevin, you said he has to go an hour or something to church. There's not where they live that you have to go a long ways. And, and that's something that we have to keep in mind, you know, if we move or whatever. But the local church needs to be local. We live in an area where there are lots of local churches. There's a local church across the highway over there. And one in, you may drive past one on your way to, uh, to, to church in the morning. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 16 and verse 5, Greet the church that is in their house. <laughs> That's about as local as it can get, right? The first churches they met from house to house. They didn't meet in these kind of buildings. This building didn't exist at the time. The idea of a building like this may not have existed. But it also tells you they were small. You know? Why do people like local? Why do you see when you, when you see people that say, I raised honey, this is locally made or it's made here? We like that because it's probably done by somebody that we know. Somebody that we can relate to or connect with. When there's a label on it that says it was made in China, that doesn't really, we, don't, we can't resonate with that. But the local church is local. When they met from house to house, it was because there was a small number of people. But they met, they gathered together. Paul wrote in our scripture reading, just a minute ago, Jimmy said that saints in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ. It means there's saints everywhere. 
It's not feasible for me and you to go to church every morning or every week in Oregon, North Dakota, or Florida. But it's feasible for us to come together with the saints right here every time. And we can build off of what we have right here, this local congregation. Now, local church assembles regularly. We mentioned Saul, how Barnabas worked as something of kind of a middleman for him. If you're still in Acts 9, turn over to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. This is, you know, we're a couple chapters on. We've moved on just a little bit. Acts 11, 25 and 26. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples, as we read there in chapter 11, were first called Christians at Antioch. But that verse right there, in verse 26, it doesn't say they were occasionally brought together. They drifted in and out. It says there for a whole year they assembled together. That's the responsibility of the local church. The local church has to assemble together. We can say this is the local church. We'll meet twice a year. That's not assembling together. That's not what that is. You know, all our responsibility right here is to assemble together. And we look at Paul. Remember Paul just a minute ago? He was a little bit nervous about it. Now they're meeting with him the whole year. And the word Christian is first used to describe those people that he was with. Well, he grew a lot, right? How much can we grow in that same man? What else about the local church? <clears throat> the local church functions collectively. We don't always like to function collectively, do we? I can do it myself, right? How many of you know people that say that, right? How many of you are people that say that I can do it myself? Well, there's some truth to that that's necessary, that we need to be strong-willed, we need to be determined and all of that. But what if the church doesn't function collectively as a group? What if the church is, I can do it myself? Well, there's 35, 40 people in here. That means there's 30 or 40, I can, I can, I can, I can. Well, the problem is, is the way that I can do it and the way that you can do it are probably different, right? And if I do it my way and you do it your way, what's going to happen to the church? We'll split, right? And if you think about something that's split in two, that's difficult. What if it's split into three? Eight, 16, 32. That's a lot of different splitting, right? The church's responsibility is to function collectively. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, we read, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. He's talking about here about giving to the church. See, he's saying... We're going to give, we're going to work as a group. This pile right here is not an individual pile. This pile is a collective group of people. And that, there's no collections when he comes. What I'm saying is that we're preparing for that. We're laying by and sore is the term that we sometimes use. We are preparing the church for the future. There are people that have given in this plate that no longer exist. They pass on. But that laid up, what they've done in the past has allowed this local church to continue to exist right now. It was because of them. And it might have been a dime or a quarter. I'd say you can look at some of these numbers from 100 years ago, and they was pretty small up there. But it kept the lights on, didn't it? It kept the group going. And that's what we're doing right now. Because I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I hope the church locally here is lasting when I'm gone. 
And by doing that, by working collectively as a group to contribute, to give, not just money, but our time, our effort, our work, by working collectively, we'll keep the local church going. Local church needs to be organized. Now, I've got lessons coming for this a little bit later, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. But the church needs to have elders. church needs to have deacons. The church needs to have an evangelist or a preacher. But the church also has to have you. It's an empty club if you've got two elders and no people. It's an empty group if I'm sitting up here talking to empty seats. It has to have you right there uh, as well. That's the organization that we look at. It has to be, and the last one there, independent and autonomous. Do we know what those words mean? Know what it means to be independent? What it means to be independent? You, you, you can kind of go at it on your own, right? You can kind of go at it on your own. Well, why is it, why is it important for the church to be independent? Well, it's odd when we've literally just talked about the collective importance of everybody working together. But the church's responsibility, the church is required to be independent and autonomous, meaning that we're not operated by some other group. Because here's the thing. We have 35, 40 people. I guarantee you all of you are familiar with churches that are local churches that are bigger than this one, right? And in a lot of ways, we might say, well, just let that bigger church sort of run things a little bit, right? You know, there's a couple other people who go to the church in Richmond. You know, there's 60, 65 in the other church in Lancaster. They're both bigger than us. Let them, they can sort of run things here. Well, that's not what the church, it's not a numbers game. It's not asking or not per, telling a larger group to dictate what happens here. I'm sure the people at Richmond this morning hope that things go well at the church in Stanford. But they're not here. They don't live in this community. The church is independent. The church is autonomous because it's made up of people who are in this community. Whenever you all mention the name of sick people, every single time somebody mentions somebody sick, I see about half the heads turn and say, oh, I didn't know that. Because we know these people, right? If we were to read the list of people that are sick at Richmond this morning, how many of you would know any of them? Probably not, right? But we're connected right here. We can't hardly start class on Wednesday night because we've got to tell all the news that we have. But that's what the local church does. That's what we come together for. We're, familiar. we're trying to help each other. It bothers us when we know of people that are in our congregation, people that we come together with, people that are in our community that are sick, that are unable to be with us. The church's independence and autonomy takes away this sort of outside governance that just looks down and says, do this, do this, do this. Our do this comes from the elders who are sitting in the third and the sixth row. You can go talk to them right now. You can tell me to be quiet and go talk to them right now. That's where the authority within the local church comes from. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2 said, The elders who are among you I exhort. I, am, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Sometimes when you get the leadership, they get a little farther away. It's not so much they're worried about what you are doing, but they kind of want to make sure the money's still coming in, right? I was watching the other night, and they were doing it. They, they, you know, if you've seen anything on the news, they've been trying to figure out who's going to be the Speaker of the House, and it took 15 votes. And I was watching that the other night just because it was kind of humorous to me, watching it, and I thought, I wonder how many of those people, when the last time they was in their actual home state was? 
November the 8th or whatever day the election was, you know, they kind of want you to send them up there, but they don't really want to talk to you much more beyond that a lot of times. Well, if we're not careful, if we let the local church not be autonomous, if it's this sort of umbrella organization, we got somebody high ranking that's never here, are they going to be as concerned as what Peter talked about there in 1 Peter 5? Not at all. The responsibility of the elders is to shepherd and oversee the local church. Not out of you know, not out of a desire for any kind of gain, but the desire that you have a gain when this life is over. That your soul winds up in heaven. Here's the thing that's complicated about that. The shepherds, the elders, are responsible for that. They have to give an answer for you. For you. I don't know that they want to answer about people that live 100 miles away and are going somewhere else. They can't know that. They know you. They are responsible for guiding you. So what's the local church? Well, hopefully we've been able to figure out a few things that we would describe the local church as. Okay? But I'm going to take this, and I will not claim to have this. I got this lifted from an article that I read, but I think it works really well. The local church is a group of Christians in a given locality who agree to worship regularly and to do the Lord's work collectively through the use of full resources as an organized, functional body independent of all other organizations, human and divine. Simple enough. We are the local church. When you say, I'm going to church, you may be talking about the building, you may be talking about the gathering, but what you're really saying is, I'm going to spend an hour or two hours together with 30 or 40 of my closest people, 30 or 40 people that love me, that want me to be as successful as I can be, that want me to be as healthy and as happy as I can be, and they're going to lean on me, and I can lean right back against them and just make each other stronger. Because without you, without the saints... There is no local church. You are a necessity. I hope we can take that. I hope we can go with us as we go throughout this week. And I hope as we talk about these local church issues over the rest of the year here once a month, I hope that we'll be able to learn a little bit more about the responsibility. Because we're going to dive deeper into the responsibility of the elder and the deacon, but also of the members, of the teachers, of the, whoever it might be. We're going to look at all of that. The only question is, do you want to be part of it? Because you're not part of the local church until you're part of the local church, all right? And if you look around, there's plenty of room for you. And if there's not, we'll add some chairs in because there's always room for more within the local church. Whatever we can do for you. If it be anything we can do to help, we invite you to come while we stand and sing. Oh, I speak.